Awesome. Well, my message today is called Training for Godliness. Now, last week, uh, Darcy and I were out to dinner with the other lead pastors from all of our campuses. Very rare that we can sort of navigate everyone's schedules, but we try to make it happen at least once a year where we all go out and have a dinner together and just enjoy each other's company. And we're out there having dinner and we're chatting about all sorts of things. But where I was at the very long table, there seemed to be quite an intrigue as to how often Shane Huang, who leads our city campus, goes to the gym. Because... That guy is the most ripped lead pastor of all of us, and we were just having a moment of healthy admiration uh, for the brother. And as he explained that he goes just three to four, five times a week, I was surprised it was only that. He's an absolute specimen. I heard him explain that he goes just three or four times a week, and in light of my own life, where I go between maybe zero to one times a decade, (laughs) a deep sense of shame came over me. Thankfully, I'm naturally blessed, and I woke up like this. (laughs) It always amazes me. I mean, he has young children as well. It amazes me how people can find time to go to the gym that many times in a week. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 to 8 says this. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Everyone say, train yourself. Oh, we got to do it ourselves. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, he says. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in the life and in this life to come. I take that as solace. You can do your physical training, but training for godliness is much better. It's quite a challenge by Paul because he's saying it's good to train your body. Remember, he said physical training is good. He's not taking away from that to grow physically, to give people free tickets to the gun show, like look after your body and make it healthy. But it does not compare to spiritual training. Doesn't Paul realize that training for godliness doesn't get you on the cover of Fitness and Muscle magazine? Doesn't he realize that while God looks at the heart, men and women observe the outward appearance? We get a couple of really interesting insights here from Paul, just in the short passage of Scripture. Firstly, it's good to look after our physical bodies. Secondly, he says, but don't let the physical distract you away from the importance of the spiritual. And thirdly, developing godliness isn't automatic. You actually have to train for it. The thing about any form of training is that there's an expectation that you would move from easier challenges to more difficult ones, that you would grow, mature, and develop so that what was once challenging is now easier for you as you progress through your training. The weights that you start on might be difficult, but over time, lifting that same weight becomes easier. Now, not that preaching is a spiritual discipline or practice, but I failed every single speech I had to give in high school. I stood up there shaking lids with my cue cards and But over time, I trained myself. I actually fanned into flame the gift of God, and I dedicated myself to getting better. So now I don't get nervous giving a three-minute speech in front of people, but I once did. What challenged me in one season of my life no longer challenges me today. Hebrews 6 verse 1 to 3 says this. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely, he says, I love this. It doesn't feel like biblical language. Surely, we don't have to go on again and again about the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. He says, this should be obvious to us. He says, you don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I read that, I think, yeah, but I might take a refresher on the resurrection of the dead. I'm I'm not so sure that's a super obvious one. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. 
The Christian life has never been about arrival. It's actually always been about journey. And there's this beautiful promise for every believer of heaven, where there's no more weeping, there's no more pain, and it's eternity with God in heaven. But if that was the only goal, you'd be whipped up the moment you gave your life to Jesus. But we remain. We're still here. And God is doing something in us and through us until that day where we're called to our heavenly home. Life is one big journey, isn't it? I mean, take life as a teenager. And I know we've got a few teenagers in the room. Love you guys' energy during worship. How good. There are benefits to being a teenager. Didn't, don't know if you know that. Uh, you don't have to worry about a mortgage. You don't have to work hard at a marriage. You don't really have to think about investing for retirement. You probably haven't, generalization, you probably haven't dealt with a whole lot of grief. But there are challenges as a teenager. There's a challenge to make friends to avoid bullying, to achieve well in school, figuring out what you want to do with your life, although I, I don't think that one ever changes. I think people much older are still trying to figure out what they're trying to do with their life. Managing emotions in a changing body. That one probably also doesn't really change. <laughs> then you become a young adult. And as a young adult, I remember thinking, what do high schoolers have to complain about? They probably still live at home for free. Studying isn't that hard. They hardly have any bills and mum and dad probably still do the laundry. I mean, I remember thinking, come on, like, what's the complaints about? There are benefits to being a young adult, though. Like, you have disposable income and probably not a whole lot of expenses. Generalizations, I realize that. You have autonomy to go wherever you want, when you want. You can just jump in the car and go and explore as you please. You don't have to ask for mum and dad's permission. And while you do have more responsibilities, you have a whole lot more autonomy and freedom. But then as a young adult, there's all sorts of unique challenges that you face. Choosing which friends are good for you and your soul, grinding through higher levels of study, finding a career and not just a job, dating and starting romantic relationships, which for a lot of people that can be a really stressful thing, trying to buy your first home and possibly eventually maybe having kids and everything that comes with that great joy. Then you become an adult. And I'm not entirely sure when you become an adult. <laughs> but the line is crossed at some point, and I think you only realize it in hindsight. At some point you go, I think for ages I haven't been a young adult. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> now that I'm an adult, I sometimes look at the lives of young adults and I think, what do they have to complain about? <laughs> Some of you still live at home for free. If you don't have kids, you have an unbelievable amount of time and freedom on your hands. Everyone's keen to hang out all the time, and while study can be hard, I know because I've been there half the time, you're just on Instagram and deciding where to go for lunch. Jordan Trollope buys $9 iced coffees from Starbucks. <laughs> and as a teenager, you can't do that. And as an adult, you know you probably shouldn't do that all too often. <laughs> but there are some really cool benefits to being an adult. You may have gotten married, and so you've, you've escaped out of the stress and the pressure of the dating life and, and all that sort of stuff. Your life can feel more structured and secure. You might live in a family home, or you can build memories with your family and your friends. But there are challenges for adults that are unique to you. Raising children, school, sports, health decisions, and funding the ever-growing portfolio of interests. Paying a mortgage that can feel like quite a burden. Trying, trying to hold on to just a few quality friends because you've run out of time and energy to keep up with entire friend groups. Working hard to build a career or a business, something that you'll be proud of and will provide for you into your older years. And then you enter your older years. And I'm not there yet, but as a generalization, you probably are looking to wrap up your working life. You've possibly built up enough for your retirement and you get to enjoy more time with the family and the grandkids. It's so cool. You get to just enjoy children. And when it all goes pear-shaped, you say, not my problem. And you get to hand them back. 
There's benefits to being elderly, right? Like at some point, you get to stop working. You have more time to do the things that you love. You get the joy of seeing your children reaching amazing milestones and achievements. But then, of course, there's challenges for you. You have to seriously think about retirement if you haven't already. You might face more serious health challenges, and you'll eventually face the loss of the people that are most important to you. You know what we can all observe here? The challenges never stop. They simply change. That's life, isn't it? And if we're trying to arrive at a place where finally the challenges would be over, that's called death. (laughs) That's the moment when all the challenges are over. But while we're living, the challenges don't stop. They simply change. When Boston complains to me, I won't say it because I'm nicer than that, but I'll think, oh, I know, buddy, it's so hard. Someone feeds you. They change you. They change your nappy, they make you food, we carry you when you don't want to walk, we turn our whole life upside down to cater to your every need. Tell me again about how difficult life is. (laughs) When we think of the challenges of children, we think that's not so hard, but that's because you've grown. You were once challenged by exactly the same things, but you've matured and grown, you can now feed yourself and take yourself to the bathroom. Praise God for that. (laughs) Unless you get real old, then I think you just return back to that place. In life, we're constantly growing and maturing. We learn lessons, some the easy way, some the hard way. We overcome, we upskill, we internally reflect, and we learn to manage our emotions a little bit better. We grow out of being a child into a teenager, a young adult, an adult, and eventually someone in their older years. This seems so obvious to us. It's right in front of us. We live it, we experience it. But why do we neglect this in our spiritual journey? We have a body, but we also have a spirit. And we have a spirit that connects with the spirit of God, the Bible says, to confirm that we're children of God. And it comes alive when we invite Jesus into our world. We've always had a spirit, but it truly comes alive when you get to meet with Jesus. The Bible says we are born again. And I'm not sure about you, but when I was born, I was pretty young. I, I don't think it's a mistake that the Bible uses the phrase born again. It could have used all sorts of things. Renewed, refreshed, fresh vision, new chapter, different page. It says, but you'd be born again. Our body could be whatever age we are when we come to Jesus, but our spiritual life is just burst into action. And while our body and and spirit are connected, they are different. The growing and the maturing of one doesn't actually affect the growing and the maturing of other. This means you could be a young adult in body and yet a child in your faith. I've met elderly people that are newborns in their spiritual journey. I've met teenagers that are maturing adults in their faith. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 to 3 says, Brothers and sisters, uh, this is Paul, he says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Another version that sounds confusing because we're humans. Another version says, are you not acting like mere people of the world? Uh, you're still an infant in Christ if you're not acting like you've actually had your life transformed. You've actually grown into something more. And after speaking about using spiritual gifts, that's important, that's the context. He's speaking about spiritual gifts. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to 12. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. It's incomplete. We're unsure. It's a bit unclear right now, but we progress towards, towards more clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but, when, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. One thing is clear. 
The challenges never stop. They simply change. And the challenges we face represent the state of maturing we're in. See, what challenged me as a teenager doesn't challenge me anymore. I, I, I can do those things in my sleep. I have different challenges now. But if I told you what challenged me now, you could probably hazard a pretty good guess as to how old I was. If I told you what weights I was carrying, you go, ah, you're probably about that age. But what about our spiritual journey? Because if we could reveal what challenges you in your faith, we could probably tell where you're at in your spiritual journey. Paul says that an infant in his faith can only handle milk. Milk is sustaining for an infant. We've got one of those, but they really start to grow when they get onto the solids. And so does the pungent smell of their stuff. They change. It's like they're growing and they're maturing and you can see how big they are from a newborn and they're one month, two month, three month. Like they're growing, you can see it. Then they get onto solids and it's like, it's like when I take on different food and I move on from milk, then I really start to grow. There are too many milk drinking growing ups in the church. And sometimes we treat church like the takeaway restaurant. We turn up and these nice hearty meat-based meals are served up and we nod and smile and we say, yeah, I'll take that home later and eat it. But we don't. And nobody knows. And there's nobody there to check. And so you can return week after week with the appearance of a meat eater, but you're still living that milk life. Look, I'm not here to challenge you on where you're at in your journey. We're all at different places and we're not competing with one another. But I am here this morning to challenge you on your approach to growth. I'm here to challenge you on your challenges. I do want to say wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, it's time to take it seriously. Why? Because it's through the process of growing that you notice the hand of God. It's through maturing in your faith that you fall deeper in love and intimacy with God and you can hear His voice better. It's through growing in your faith that you can have a bigger impact on others and help lead them to Jesus. It's through growing in your faith that you feel more content, more secure, more confident, you stop living in fear, you approach challenges with faith, and you notice the goodness and mercy of God that's been following you all the days of your life. It's always been there, but as we grow in our faith, we find it easier to see it. Let's be a church that takes our faith seriously. You know, this week I've had the joy of meeting up with a bunch of people that are getting baptized today. Five people getting baptized after the service today, which is amazing. Five people that haven't just been saved by the grace of God, but they're taking it serious enough to publicly declare it. People that are taking another step forward in their growth and intimacy with God. See, it's always so refreshing to speak with people that are asking the question, what's next for me? What's my next step? How do I pursue God deeper? How do I pursue Him more? How do I grow closer to God? When Jesus is speaking of the Pharisees, which were these religious leaders that were in the temple regularly, much like we come to church regularly. Now, we're not Pharisees, but the parallel is similar. We might find ourselves in this building regularly. And he said about them in Matthew 15, 8 to 9. And when he says this, he's quoting Jeremiah 12 and Isaiah 29. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says, their worshipers are fast, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's massive. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If your attendance at church is the extent of your spiritual input, you will grow. Like, I believe that. You're in good community. You're worshiping God. You're having conversations. You're sitting under the Word. You'll grow. It just won't be at the pace you were designed to. You'll restrict your intimacy. You'll limit your influence. And you'll go round in circles, eventually becoming a disillusioned Christian, blaming God for your stagnant life. We can so easily reduce the importance of our own spiritual journey because we feel spiritually active with church activity. 
And you might say, Frosty, but I've been through all sorts of different seasons of life. And I would say, yes, you have. But what did you learn in those seasons? How were you changed in those seasons? When you were down on your knees in despair, in that moment, was it obvious to you to seek God and seek His face? Or did you just feel like life was unfair and you vowed to never find yourself feeling like that or be in that position ever again? Your season changed, but were you changed in that season? Because different seasons come and go, right? And different seasons come with different challenges. But seasons don't represent growth. Seasons represent opportunity for growth. See, I'm who I am and, and I'm me. And if I just stand still, the seasons of life will come and go and I'll be left standing in the same spot. But with the changing of the seasons comes the ability to grow and develop. And our personal challenge is to identify where we're at and to get serious about growing into the next stage of our faith. I want to get really practical for you today. Here's some tips depending on what stage of faith you would identify yourself as being in. To the newborns in their faith, like you're brand new, you said yes to Jesus and you don't really know much beyond that. Praise God for His goodness. That's amazing. To you, I say, be in church every Sunday and take notes during the sermon. Be in a small group or two and prioritize being there. Read your Bible every day. Just a couple of verses or a story about Jesus and ask God what He's showing you through that story and ask lots of questions. To the children in their faith, be in church every Sunday. Take notes during the sermon. Be in a small group or two and prioritize being there. Read your Bible every day. Start Googling background information on the text. Who said this? Why did they say it? How does it translate to today? Find practical ways to remind yourself of what you're reading. It might be a screensaver on your phone or a post-it note on your desk. Get serving in church to make a difference in the lives of others. Get a mentor and value their time. Actually be open, honest, and vulnerable with them. Start tithing regularly. Ask lots of questions. To the adults in their faith, be in church every Sunday. Take notes during the sermon. It's half done for you in the app. You can just fill in the blanks and write whatever else you feel like God is saying. Be in a small group. One is fine, but prioritize being there. Read your Bible every day. Listen to what God is saying behind the words that you're reading. Context and application. Work hard to connect as many dots as possible. Where can you see Jesus in the Old Testament? What does biblical love and community look like? Take committed action to applying God's Word to your life, even if it doesn't fully make sense. Trust it, apply it, live it out, and see God transform your world. Serve in church, but take leadership. Lead and guide others, encourage others, raise up others to use their gifts and passions. Become missional in the way that you raise up other people and ask lots of questions. And to the elderly in their faith, my goodness, do we need you. Be in church every Sunday. Take notes during the sermon. Be in a small group and prioritize being there. Read your Bible every day. The depth and the width of God's Word is greater than the most expansive ocean on planet Earth. You are still only scratching the surface. Keep a hunger for a fresh word from God. Ask God to highlight a handful of people that you can take under your wing as spiritual sons and daughters. Look, you've seen God move. You've heard His voice. You've weathered the storms. And you've come out the other side still loving Jesus. Could you impart that to other people? Could you encourage others? Could you walk alongside someone like someone once did for you? Could you become a mother or a father in our church community? Someone who maintains a sweet spirit, who continues to seek Jesus, and would love to stand in the gap for our people and our leaders. Now, in every stage of our journey, we're seeking the face of the same God, but the challenges that we face change. The good thing is it means we've moved on from milk. We're no longer babies or infants in Christ, but we've taken on a tougher meal. 
And I really felt to make this message as, as practical as possible. And so with the time we've got left, I've got two areas just to speak to briefly. The first one is this. Uh, if you want to grow in your faith, spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual realm and you need to be ready to engage in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 13 says this. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we, everyone say we. Now, when you click that little word we in your, on your digital version of the Bible, there's a little next to it. And it says, some manuscripts say you. It doesn't sound like a big change. It's massive. This is Paul speaking to this church saying, when I say we, what I mean is you also. This is not a us as church leaders, us as pastors or deacons or spiritual fathers in the faith saying, when we face this, no, he's saying when we, when you, when Christians, when us as a body of believers, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I remember when I was young and I would always challenge my brother to, to a race. We'd be walking down the street. I'd be like, race you to the next lamppost. And he learned pretty quick that he couldn't beat me because I was lightning quick. And so every time I challenged him to a race, yo, race you to the next lamppost, he'd be like, no, nah, I'm not racing. And then I'd say, well, that just means you lose. Like whether you run or not, the race is on. So you can just keep walking, but I'm going to get to the end and win the race. I mean, you can choose to lose if you like. And so I go three, two, one, boom, and I'm off. I'm the only one running. Get to the end, hands in the air and victory as I cross the finish line. I turn back. I'm like, loser. <laughs> the race was on whether he wanted to race it or not. Look, there is a spiritual battle at place and ignoring it and not engaging in it doesn't take it away. Yeah. We can't just go, oh, I'm just not going to think about that. We're just choosing to lose. There is a battle happening whether we like it or not. And as maturing Christians, firstly, you need to know this. We don't need to be afraid. That, that's important to know. It's not like, this battle where we're really outnumbered, actually God plus one is the majority. We have him on our side. We don't need to be afraid, but we do have to be prepared. We actually have to know our authority in Christ. We need to know how to identify the lies of the enemy. How would we know? By knowing the truth of his word. The more you know the truth, the more easy it is to identify the lies. We need to know the difference between the casting out of something and the laying on of hands and praying for something. Parents, for the sake of your family, listen, you don't have to be an expert, but you do need to be confident and firm with spiritual eyes to see what's going on. And again, there's no reason to be fearful. Jesus has already won the victory, but that doesn't mean the enemy isn't out there causing a ruckus. If spiritual warfare has sat in the too hard basket for you, it's time to pick it up to start small and begin to learn about the weapons and authority that the Holy Spirit will empower you with. You might say, well, as if I'm new in my faith, I really don't get that. That's fine. That's not a battle for today. But as you mature in your faith, it's time to put beside you childish ways and it's time to move on. And I'm not saying you're childish, but in your faith, it's time to grow. I want to draw your attention to an amazing resource we have called Right Now Media. I know I've mentioned it before. If you haven't heard of it, it's a resource. As a church, we pay for it. And as a member of our church, you have free access to it. You need to set up a simple login. If you want it and don't have it, put your details on that Orange Connect card. And uh, Andrew, bless him, he will get you the information that you need. I even just jumped on last night, and I can already see there's a bunch of different resources on spiritual warfare. It's no good saying, I just don't know. It's true, you just don't know but there's a way to know. There's actually a way to go, 
I'm going to own my faith. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to read some stuff, watch some stuff. You have so many resources at your fingertips. That's one of them. And I only did a quick search. There's probably amazing stuff on there as well. And the final one I want to talk about today, and just one of the many areas you can focus in on to, to grow in your faith, faith <laughs> is, is tithing. Tithing at its core is trusting God. And look, people can add all sorts of different layers to it, some wrongly, some rightly. You can talk about it in any which way you like. But at the core of it, it's trusting God. It's reading God's word, trusting his plan and his provision, and taking action like you believe it. See, tithing can sometimes feel like a spiritual muscle. The Bible talks about the tithe as being a 10% of our income, but it also talks about giving with joy, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So let me say this. If giving 10% immediately makes you feel like you're reluctant or under compulsion, just stop right there. That's a battle for a more mature version of you. You're not there yet. I would say to you, just start small. Start with something and watch what God does to show you how much he's going to bless you with your, for, for your faithfulness. It's like any muscle, right? We need to train it to lift heavier loads. We actually need to train ourselves in godliness. I remember in my younger faith years, I started with a really small amount, which still felt like a stretch for me because remember in different seasons, the challenges are relevant. But I started something almost to test the waters. And over time, we have lifted that in accordance with our faith. The more we grow and mature in our faith, the more confident we become that God is faithful to his word. Ollie, you can join me on keys. That when we place our trust in God, we won't actually ever go without the things that we need. If you want to take your faith seriously, we've got to believe these three things, right? We firstly got to believe that if God said it, he meant it. Like he's not out there joking. It's not like a meme. He's not like, here's just a random idea. You may or may not do it. If God said it, he meant it. Secondly, at some point, our faith has to be external and not just internal. At some point, it's not just what we believe, but it has to become about how we live our lives. And thirdly, as we mature, we become more focused on others than we do on ourselves. We become passionately committed to God's plan to use the local church to see people saved and set free. And as we mature, we actually find joy in being a part of that work. Let me take you back to Hebrews 6 verse 1. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. We won't actually ever stop doing that because in the room, we always have people at different stages of their journey and we'll always go over that. But for those that are growing, for those that want to mature, stop staying in the same stagnant place in the infant stuff. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. The issue is not that you face challenges because that will never change. The question is this, are you still facing the same spiritual challenges that you were years ago? Do you still struggle to forgive? Do you still struggle to make sense of Scripture? Do you still struggle to hear God's voice? Do you still struggle to trust God around tithing? Do you still struggle to apply His Word to your life? If that's the case, then it's time to take a step. It's time to take ownership. It's time to start training yourself in godliness. What's your next step? I can't answer that for you. I've been praying not only as I've been preaching, but also in the preparation that God would make it clear to you. And even if you're like, man, I want to grow. I want a next step. No idea what that is. Then why don't you let us know on a connect card? We'll reach out. We'll give you some options. We're not we'll force our way upon you, but we really want to see you grow. I don't want to see us to be a church of adults in body or elderly in body, but still infants in our faith. And if that's the the 
place you entered in. You're an adult, you're elderly, and you've just come to faith. Praise God for His goodness that's been chasing you all the days of your life. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. That's amazing. But for all of us, let's be a mobilized church, a growing church, a church that don't just come on Sundays. Go, that's a great message. Can't wait for next week's message. But actually, chew on it. Google some stuff. Watch some stuff. Get into small groups. Have conversations. Wrestle with our faith. Ask questions. Doubt along the way. It's all good. As long as we're taking ownership and we are training ourselves. Training yourself doesn't mean you need to do it in isolation, though. It's the good thing. We do it together as a community, but no one can do it for you. 